As he said, we're in Hebrews 4 this morning, verses 12 and 13. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. This is the word of the Lord. Glad that you're here. If it's your first Sunday here, it's a great Sunday to be here as we start a new series entitled The Bible Doesn't Say That. Um, and we just spent 14 weeks in the New Testament book of Colossians, and the Lord did some phenomenal things. We said the goal of that series was for people to meet Jesus and people to mature in Jesus. And we saw both of those things through the grace and power of God take place. And um, the, this series sort of birthed out of a conversation I was having with two church members as we were volunteering and setting up for Easter at the Rogers. And we were having a conversation and uh, this younger married couple was talking about what it is to share their faith with their friends and have conversation and sort of the hurdles that take place for people who maybe aren't in church or who aren't believers and what that conversation looks like. And I always get very intrigued about those conversations. I, I have to pursue and seek those conversations out because I'm a pastor. And so, like, I live in this little, like, fish bubble, like this, like, goldfish bowl of all Christians all the time. And, like, I love being around non-believers that are, like, cussing and smoking. And some of y'all are like, well, I'm a believer and do that. But that's a different story, okay? Right? But I love being in those environments because I'm never in those environments. And so I love it. And so anytime I hear of a church member that's, like, engaging in conversation with people who aren't believers, I just sort of perk up and I get very excited about that. And one of the common denominators that this couple was telling me was, is um, there, there kept being the same hurdle in a conversation with their friends who, who weren't believers, and it went sort of something like this. They would talk about, the younger married couple would talk about what's going on in their life and, and what God is doing in church and sort of that type of conversation. Then it would shift back over to their friends, and their friends would say, that's good, but I struggle with blank. You know, maybe they were talking about marriage and, and they would say something along the lines of, you know, I just struggle with that the Bible teaches or the Bible says blank. And, and, then, and then the younger married couple will go, well, well, actually, that's as Christians, that's not, that's not what we believe. That's, that's actually not what the Bible says. And so then the conversation would, would go back that way as well. And then it sort of went back and forth. And I even recalled on conversations that I've had with, with people who say that, you know, they don't believe in God or they don't believe the Bible. And oftentimes I'll ask this question. Describe the God to me that you don't believe in. And so they'll sort of, you know, go through this sort of cliche list of things and then at the end of that, I'll go, that's great because I don't believe in that God either. That's, that's not the God of the Bible. And so as I was thinking about that conversation and then even conversations as a totality of what that looks like, there's sort of this common denominator there, and it's one of assumption, right? And the definition of assume, I'm not going to use the one that you're used to, okay? Um, assume means this, uh, the Oxford English Dictionary, right? A belief or feeling that something is true or that something will happen, although there is no proof whatsoever. 
And do you know what the proof is now today in our society? It's this sentence. Well, I feel like... Well, I feel like... You know what I feel... Listen, I, I, I think you're special as a snowflake and you need a little star next to your name and that's great and good. But our feelings are not factual. They just are not. And when it comes to the scriptures, there's an assumption that happens that, that people tend to assume that they know what is true, but it is not based upon fact. But it literally affects the way they engage with the Bible, the way they engage with church, even their theology of what that looks like. And listen, please, this is a very, very true sentence. Assumption about the Bible always leads to corruption of the Bible. Always. The moment that you assume what you think to be true, most importantly about the scriptures, and we're going to get to that in just a second. When you assume what is in there, just because maybe it's been passed down or this, that, and the other, it will always lead to a corruption of that. Now, now that leads us to sort of the, the outline of our series because there are assumptions about the Bible. There have been these phrases and things that have crept into the language of the scriptures that are nowhere in the Bible. Because there's been assumption of that. Here's just a few of them. Um, the Bible says God helps those who help themselves. The Bible says God will never give you more than you can bear. The Bible says forgive and forget. The Bible says don't judge. Raise your hand if you've ever heard any of those said along with the sentence the Bible says. Look around the room. I mean, we're relevant today, right? We, we are on a topic. And it all comes to this understanding of assuming what we think that we know. And the more and more I thought about that conversation and the more and more I thought about our local context of Butler County with car dealerships, Dollar Generals, and Mexican restaurants, okay? There was something being built uh, by our house over off M Highway. I'll give you one guess what it is. It's a Dollar General, okay, right? There's one on the other end of township, right? But anyway, and so there's an assumption in our local context, um, and, and I started sort of mapping this out, that when it comes to the Bible, there's sort of, you know, this is a general speaking of five types of people, okay? When it comes to the scriptures, generally speaking, there's, there's five categories of people. The first one is this, um, those who reject it. Those who just outright reject it, um, who would say, we don't believe the Bible, um, and, and maybe you have substantial evidence for that. Most of the time in the conversation, people don't. Um, I love what Mark Twain says. He says, people reject the Bible not because it contradicts itself, but because it contradicts them. Hello, right, okay? And so, and so, and, and listen, if you have trouble with the scriptures, this sermon, this sermon is for you today. Um, we're going to engage in some of that, but there's those who reject the Bible, and then there's this, there's those who are around it, just around it, right? Probably your grandmother, your grandfather was a believer. Um, whenever we were up in St. Louis and uh, our youth group, these kids would be gone for, for, for a period, always in the springtime of the year, and like half our youth group would be gone for multiple Wednesdays. And then finally I sought out one of the families, and they were like, yeah, 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 they're going through confirmation. And I was like, oh, that's great, that's cool, um, but you come to our church. Like, they were like, well, and it was always this, well, my grandma was Catholic. 
My grandmother was Catholic. And so it's this idea of being around something, and when you're around something, then you begin to assume those things. So it's those who reject it, those who are around it, and then this, those who are under it, right? That would be a majority of us in this room today, those of us who are under the scriptures. So we listen to Bible teaching, we listen to podcasts, stuff like that. I mean, we even travel to conferences and do stuff like that. And then there's those um, who are in it, under it, and then those who are in it. You're, you're actually studying the scriptures. You're, you're actually reading um, the scriptures. But then here's the last category. Those who have it in them. That's the money category. The goal of this series is to move from these categories to this last category. And do you know what's so scary to me? is a majority of Butler County live in these two categories. Those who are around it and those who are under it. You know what's even more scary? Judas was in these two categories. Judas was under, listen to this, Judas went to the greatest seminary the world has ever known for three years and is not living eternity with the Lord. What, what happens and what takes place, and listen, even in my own life, I know the moments when I've moved from sort of being in it to when it then got in me. I'll never forget being a young student pastor up in St. Louis and felt so much insecurity teaching these students and they had all of these questions and all of this stuff. So I was constantly reading theology and constantly studying and, and constantly going in these arguments and doing all of this stuff. And I'll never forget, I was talking with one of my dear friends and I had a Bible in my hand and then this big, thick other study book in the other hand. And then finally he got so frustrated with me, he said this, why do you keep reading books about the Bible instead of reading the Bible? And, and I just, I didn't have an answer. I was like, I, well, I thought... And then that's when something changed. This is the goal. This is where the scriptures are constantly pushing us to. Not so much you highlighting verses, but verses highlighting you. Not so much you reading the Bible, but the Bible reading you. I love what Colossians says. See, you thought we were just done with Colossians, but here we are again, right? Colossians 3.16 says this, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching, admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. Look at what happens when a congregation has the word of God in them. They begin to teach and admonish one another, not just the pastor or not just the leaders, but then look at what happens. There's singing, there's things that flow from out of them after what has been in them. So the question in this series, when we look at those five categories of people, is simply this, which one are you? Which one are you? And for some of us, it's very humbling to answer this question. I mean, I've known people who've gone to church and been in church all their lives and this, that, and the other, but yet when it comes to the scriptures getting in them, it still hasn't happened yet. And so in this series, yes, we're going to clarify some things. Yes, we're going to know some things. But here's what I don't want to do. I don't want to fall into the mistake of assuming things. And, and, 
And here's what's unique about this. There's those who say this is what the Bible says, and then there's those who say this is what the Bible doesn't say, and this, that, and the other, but I'm afraid that there's assumption as to what the Bible is. So listen, today, before we can know what the Bible does or doesn't say, we need to know what the Bible is. We've got to know what the Bible is. I don't want to assume anything like that. And in the verses that was read to you, it's one of the clearest in all of the scriptures as to what the scriptures are. So I want to look at that little verse today, and I want us to clarify and get on the same page on this journey as to what the scriptures are with the goal that we can move from maybe just being around it, maybe just being under it, and maybe just being in it, to it then moving and being in us. So in that verse in Hebrews, I just want to answer one question. What, what is it? What is it? And I think there's three simple things that are here. The first point is going to be this. What it is. What are in the scriptures? There it is, verse 12. For the word of God. Well, there it is, point number one. Um, it is the word of God. It is the word of God. Translated in the original languages, it means the very utterances of God, the very words of God. This presumes something in the Christian faith. Um, the Christian faith makes this claim, and it's pretty audacious, that God is not silent. God is not silent that God has spoken, that our story as Christians literally begins with God speaking. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void, and the Spirit of God hovered over the waters, and God said, let there be light. We have a speaking, created God. But listen, um, God forbid we're going to learn some things today in church. Is that okay? All right, so I want you guys to hang on with me. It's going to be teachy. Then I'll get to yelling and be a little preachy towards the end. Okay, all right? But when it comes to this idea of God not being silent, it's, it's, it means revelation, how God has revealed himself. And scholars look at this in two primary categories, general revelation and special revelation. General revelation is like Psalm 19.1, verses 1 and 2. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above his handiwork. What does that mean? That means that when you go to Current River this summer and you hear that river and you see those trees, that God is shouting at you. That when you go to the ocean and you see that tide that never ends and that ocean that seems to never end, that's God shouting at you. That's creation shouting and pointing that there is a creator. That is general revelation. But then there's something that is known as special revelation, where God has revealed himself in a particular way. And we as Christians believe that's in two categories, the scriptures and then finally in the person of Jesus Christ. But look at the claim that the scriptures make about themselves in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All scripture is breathed out by God. This word is huge, theonoustos. Just like, that sounds like something off Avengers, right? That's the guy that snapped his fingers, right? Theonoustos, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Listen, this very verse is where we get a definitive sentence when it comes to the scriptures. It's a big word. You ready for this? 
It's verbal plenary inspiration. You're like, whoa, that's a big word. Well, so is frappuccino and mayonnaise, okay? But we're learning stuff, all right? Verbal plenary inspiration. What does that mean? Well, it means this. Verbal means all the words. It means the very words of the Bible. You say, Jason, well, that seems to be pretty conservative. Did, did, did Jesus believe that? Yes, he did. Um, not a jot nor a tittle nor a cross of a T nor a dot of an I should ever pass away from God's word. That we believe, that's why we study a certain type of word-for-word translation, because we need all the words. It's all of the words, but then it's this, the plenary, it's all of them. It's the very words, it's all the words, and then this, inspiration. They were inspired. Now, here's what we do not believe as Christians. We do not believe in dictation. Here's what dictation is. It's like sometimes when we think about, um, you know, the Apostle Paul or Jeremiah, you know, writing, we think of somebody just with candles around going, and God just like, no, God used their personalities It was 100% men who were inspired 100% by God, the Holy Spirit. And one of the verses that we have in the scriptures is 2 Peter. It says this, Knowing that, first of all, no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. Interesting. So if you're like, um, well, all I do is I sit at home and I just got my Bible and a candle and it's just me and the Lord and I just love it all by myself. Well, the Bible would say that you're wrong. Welcome to Westside. Love you. Glad you're here. Okay, right? This is where we get cults from. Okay? This is where it's like, hey, guys, I've been reading my Bible by myself. We're all going to wear these Nikes and I'm going to pass out this Kool-Aid today. Okay? That's not good. All right? No scriptures for anyone's private interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were, here it is, carried along by the Holy Spirit. That term carried along in the original language is a nautical term for sailing. It is how the wind fills the sails of a boat and carries it along. That's what we understand the scriptures to be. And we see this glimpses in little portion of scripture. Like, like look at this verse in Acts chapter 4, where Peter stands up to preach, and he says these words. He says, Who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit. Did you catch that? Pump the brakes a second, right? I know it's 9, and normally the 11 a.m. is a little bit more interactive. Just saying, okay, right, because I've had more. All right, but who's talking? Who's talking here? Who through the mouth of our father David, the mouth of our father David, David said something, your servant said by the Holy Spirit. That's a clause phrase. This is what we see in the scriptures, that God the Holy Spirit, third member of the Trinity, inspired the authors to write this thing. And we believe that it is without error. That's called inerrancy. Um, A definition for inerrancy is this. The inerrancy of Scripture means that Scripture in the original manuscripts does not affirm anything contrary to fact. Now, here's what we don't want. One of the Protestant Reformation solas was sola scriptura. Sola, which means alone, by Scripture alone. What they did not say was solo scriptura which is only scripture, okay? Because when you go and get your oil changed, the guy's not turning to Leviticus, okay, right? But what the scriptures are saying is what they have spoken to is without error. 
And now I know what some of you are saying in the original manuscripts. Pastor Jason, how in the world could, could, could we ever believe something like that? Well, I show you this chart from time to time. Um, the Bible has withstood the test of time, okay? And so it's the best-selling book of all time, but Newsweek and the New York Times will never admit that. Um, it's one of the greatest causes of the inventions in the world is the printing press was invented to, imprint, uh, to print the scriptures. And oftentimes people are like, well, how can we know the original manuscripts and all of this stuff? Um, the term is called an attested document. Okay, for, so, for, so for some of you who are like, I watch this Joe Rogan clip and this guy. Okay, we're going to go there because big questions require big work. All right. And so the term in, in, in literature is called an attested manuscript. What they see is how many original copies do we have and what is the time span from when the event took place or when it was written to of when that original copy was written down. I looked up in major universities today for you to get a master's in literature, you have to read three of these books that are on this list, okay? So let's just do this. Um, Caesar's History of Rome. It was written between 100 to 44 B.C. The earliest fragment that we have is 900 A.D. Listen to me. That is a time span of a thousand years. And we have about 10 of those original manuscripts. Um, let's jump down. Let's do Homer's Iliad. This is great. If you're having trouble sleeping at night, read that book, okay? But it's supposed to be a classic, all right? Homer's Iliad, probably uh, in literature, supposed to be one of the most attested documents. I have never in my life ever heard a college professor say, well, we aren't sure if Homer really wrote the Iliad. I've never heard it, and you need to read it in order to get a master's in literature. Homer's Iliad was written about 900 B.C. The earliest fragment or copy is about 400 B.C. That's a time span of about 500 years, and we have about 643 of those manuscripts. Now, enter just the New Testament alone, because the Old Testament is without dispute from Jewish literature and history. The New Testament alone, we have almost as early as 40 A.D., now, this graphic is old. One of the earliest fragmented copies that we have is from 75 AD, which would actually lower the year span to almost 20 years from when the original event happened. And we have somewhere around 24,000 original documents passed down through the years. Listen, guys, we can go there. We can go there. But this is what I'm afraid of. I'm afraid that this is only a part of the argument. Most of the time, this is where the argument begins and this is where it engages. And then here's where it goes. Here's where all arguments go. All arguments have three levels, okay? Logical, emotional, and then personal, okay? So logical, it goes like this. Well, I don't really believe this because of that. And, and then you shoot down that logical argument. And then it becomes a little bit emotional. And then you're like, well, I just feel like, and, and where I struggle with, and then it goes personal. Yeah, well, you're dumb, right? That's where, I mean, that's every Facebook argument. Watch it. It goes logical, emotional, and then personal, right? And then the next argument, apart from this, when we shoot all of this down, uh, comes to what's hard to understand or this, that, and the other. Can I just say this? Can I just say this? I believe that we fail to understand the Bible when we fail to stand under the Bible, 
most of us fail to understand the Bible when we fail to stand under the Bible. There's a number of ways that you can view the scriptures, and we do this from time to time here. You can stand over it, you can stand beside it, but at Westside, and what we believe through the history of the church is this is the way that you view the scriptures, is that we are under, you have your Bible in your hand, grab your Bible. Let's just do this right now. We do this from time to time. Grab your Bible. If you have a fake Bible on your phone, I'll let it slide, okay, right? And then just hold it up over your head. Just hold it up over your head. This is how we view the word of God. That we are under it. Good, you're out of the sermon now, okay? But listen, oftentimes we fail to understand the scriptures because we fail to stand under it. And listen, most of the time it it has to deal with you sleeping with your girlfriend. Just going to be honest with you, okay? Everybody's all for like the Bible study and the don't judge and feeding the poor and doing this, that, and the other. But anytime the Bible starts to harp in on you are not Lord of your life, but Jesus Christ is Lord, we bow out of it. For it is the very word of God. But then the second thing is this. um, It's alive. It's alive. Look at, we're just going right there in verse 12. For the word of God is living. Living. The phrase actually means continually living. I love what 1 Peter says. Since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers. And the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. The word of God remains forever. Listen, the Bible has outlasted empires and criticism and attacks over years and years and years and years, and it is still alive. I love what Luther said. The Bible has feet, and it runs after me. It runs after me. I hear this out in the lobby all the time on a Sunday when somebody comes up and is like, man, have you been following me around this week? And I just feel like everything that you said pertained to everything that was going on in my life. Listen, I'm going to let you in on uh, on a little secret. I ain't that clever, bro. And I'm not that good, okay? The power's in the word of God. The power's in the word. It's the word that's doing that. Um, One of the great critics of the scriptures was Voltaire. Um, Voltaire was one of the fathers of the Enlightenment in the 1700s. The Enlightenment is when, you know, science and, and reason and the scientific method and all of these things. And what happened was, is that during the 17th century, with the Enlightenment, we saw a great attack upon the scriptures because they said it wasn't logical, it wouldn't hold up to the scientific method and this, that, and the other. Voltaire was a critic of uh, the faith. He signed every letter with crush the infamy, the Christian religion. He said this, What folly and what misery of these things that contain in the Bible, all of these contradictions and follies and horrors, to invent such things as the Bible is the last degree of ignorance, and to believe them is the highest form of stupidity. And then he said this, One hundred years from my day, There will not be a Bible on earth except one that is looked upon as an artifact. Voltaire, 100 years from my day. What an audacious claim, right? 100 years from my day, the only Bible that will be around will be in a museum to look on and for us to go look how far we've come. Fun fact of history, when Voltaire died, he had a printing press in his house. When Voltaire died, the Evangelical Bible Society bought his home and his printing press and printed Bibles in his house. 
That is the ultimate roast and burn of all of time, man. A hundred years from now, the Bible won't exist except that it's being printed in the home that I lived in, right? Listen, I could use example after example after example, but it's alive, guys. The greatest strength and where we've seen the growth from Westside is in the very word of God. The word does the work. It's the word of God. It's alive. And the last thing is this. It's active. It's active. Look at what it says. For it is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of the soul, the spirit, joints, and marrow, and discerning the intentions of the heart. The word active there is where we get the Greek word from energy from, that it's self-sustaining energy from itself, the scriptures. I love what the psalmist says, Psalm 29, verses 4 through 5. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. The cedars of Lebanon were the greatest military technology that they had known in that day. And what the psalmist says is it's the very words of God that destroy any type of human might. Here's what I'm trying to say say, when you open your Bible, God opens his mouth. If you want to hear a word from the Lord, then we open the very word of God. And so this is what's happening when we open our Bibles, when we read them in the morning. That's why we have an entire point in our service where everything stops and we hear the scripture that is being read because this is what we believe, that we are hearing God. That's why all through the service we have scriptures. Because listen, God didn't promise that your favorite Chris Tomlin or Bill Gaither song would change your life. He promised that his word would never return void. And guys, I see this all the time. People who sit week in and week out and the word of God in Jeremiah, like it says, is a hammer that breaks the hardest heart. That it's active, that it's doing something. But there's something that terrifies me, and I'm going to say this in closing. We can believe all of these things about the Bible. And, 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 and amen, everything that I've just said. And we can still be Pharisees. Look at what Jesus says in John chapter 6. He says these words to the Pharisees. You search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Listen, here's the big idea in the thesis today is simply this. The point of the Bible is to point us to Jesus. So you could say that you're conservative. You believe all the amen and much rod and Bible thumpers and this, that, and die and go to hell. Because your trust is in some theological framework that you find in the scriptures apart from the Jesus that the scriptures point us to. And this is my deep burden in Butler County where everybody's around it. Everybody assumes it. And everybody misses what it's even pointing to. I love what John Stott said. It seems to me that our greatest need today is an enlarged vision of Jesus Christ. We need to see him as the one in whom alone the fullness of God dwells and in whom alone we can come to the fullness of life. There is only one way to gain clear, true, fresh, lofty views of Christ, and that's through the Bible. 
The Bible is the prism by which the light of Jesus Christ is broken into its many and beautiful colors. The Bible is the portrait of Jesus Christ. We need to gaze upon him with such intensity of desire that by the gracious work of the Holy Spirit, he becomes alive to us and he meets with us and he fills us with himself. So the question that I asked at the beginning of sermon still stands true is when we look at the five types of people when it comes to the scriptures, the question is this, which one are you? Which one are you? Heavenly Father, God, we come before you today grateful for your word, grateful that we can have confidence in it, that it is the word of God, that it has stood the test of time. But God, may we not end there. May we not just love the word of God, but may we love the God of the word. And may we see what the scriptures point to, which is you, Jesus. God, open up our hearts, open up our minds. God, may Westside be a humble people of the word. May we never assume, just because we've been around it, even though we're even under it, may we get in it and may it get in us. Holy Spirit, have your way with us. We pray this all in the holy and in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Westside, would you stand to your feet?